from KQED. Try to imagine the first time you saw the lights of an amusement park twinkling in the night sky. To me, those lights meant fun with my family, fried food, but most importantly, rides. The scarier, the better. Throughout the last hundred years or so, amusement parks like Marine World, Neptune's Beach, Great America, and Discovery Kingdom have dotted the landscape here in the Bay Area. A few are still around, but most have closed for good. And actually, in a few years, California's Great America in Santa Clara will become the next to close its gates. But even after the lights of the Ferris wheel dim, something is left behind from these parks. This week, we remember two amusement parks that have etched themselves into the imaginations of generations of Bay Area residents. Idora Park in Oakland and San Francisco's Playland at the Beach. I'm Olivia Allen Price. You're listening to Bay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Founded in 1980, it's still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And still the pale ale that sparked a craft beer revolution. Sierra Nevada, still the one. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. This week on Big Curious, we look back at Bay Area amusement parks of yesteryear. Here's reporter Christopher Beal. In 1900, Oakland was bustling with activity. The Model T was still a few years away, so cars weren't super commonplace yet, and the streets buzzed with bicycle and trolley traffic. The main streetcar around Oakland in those days was the San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose Railway, which later became the key system. The streetcar and the land that it ran on was owned by the very mob-sounding Realty Syndicate. An impossibly evil name for a corporation. This is T.J. Fisher. But the Realty Syndicate was exactly what it sounded like. T.J. grew up on the East Coast and has loved and studied amusement parks pretty much his entire life. I wrote my thesis about different intersectional aspects of the way people enjoyed amusement parks over time and how that reflected other elements of culture. The way TJ tells it, this group of wealthy businessmen... The Realty Syndicate... ...owned the trolley system, as well as a lot of land around Oakland. The trolleys were busy on the weekdays with commuters, but on the weekends, not so much. And this presented a cash flow issue for the syndicate. They thought if they could boost weekend ridership, there might be other benefits down the line. The syndicate owned a piece of land in what is now North Oakland, just north of where the 24 freeway crosses Telegraph today. Between 56th and 58th Streets and Shattuck and Telegraph. And they leased it to this company called Ingersoll Amusements. Ingersoll set out to create a beautiful destination for Oaklanders, and the realty syndicate put a streetcar stop nearby. 
in 1904, Idora Park was born and was an instant hit with the locals. It was just about 10 cents admission fee to get in, which would be about $3 in today's money. That's a fantastic bargain when you think about what it costs to get into Great America or Disneyland today. That admission got you into the more than 17-acre park where there were roller coasters, slides, swings, and all manner of concessions. You got the beautifully landscaped grounds. You got some, but not all, of the rides. There were a huge number of things on display that would really get people thinking about new technologies. They had an experience that showed you what a coal mine was like. So those kinds of things would be included. And then concessions like a roller coaster, a carousel would cost extra. There was also an opera house, animals, exhibits, and a pool. It was really a center of culture in Oakland. Before we had as many public city parks as we do today, we would go to Idora to get outside. It was really something that everybody would have known. But the realty syndicate who owned the trolley and all of this land had another motivation for making this part of Oakland a destination. They had always hoped that the area around the park would grow and be considered desirable, and they would be able to use the park for another purpose. So it was a huge shock when, at the end of 1928, it was announced that the Realty Trust was going to subdivide the park and sell it as real estate. Things were dismantled very quickly in uh, early 1929. Now it's a very residential neighborhood, and there are no signs that there was ever an amusement park there. When Idora Park was at its most popular in the early 1900s, another amusement park popped up just across the bay at San Francisco's Ocean Beach. Like Idora Park, new trolley lines played a big role. These food stands and small concessions and rides greeted passengers who rode all the way to the western end of the line. And soon, that ragtag park would become a beloved getaway for young and old alike. In 1914, they actually put in the uh, merry-go-round there. And that was the uh, Loof's Hippodrome. That's Jim Smith. I'm the author of San Francisco's Playland at the Beach, The Early Years, and a second book, The Golden Years. Shortly after Loof's Hippodrome, this ornate carousel opened, John Friedel bought in and brought big ideas to the area residents were now calling shoots at the beach. Friedel decided that he wanted to make a first-rate park out of it. So in 1919, he went in and started building a lot of rides. And people loved it. I mean, at at that time, there was nothing near like it anywhere else in the West Coast. George Whitney became the manager in 1926 and formally changed the name of the roughly three-block area to Playland at the Beach. Now, one of the smart things they did was they uh, made it free to get in the park. So there were no gates. You just go down there, and if you got a quarter or you got a dime, you could put those towards a ride. That's Laughing Sal, possibly the most iconic character to actually survive Playland at the Beach. More on that later. She was sort of this early animatronic, and this was way before Disneyland came onto the scene. She was located at the entrance to the Fun House. Jeannie Lawton remembers visiting in the 60s. 
And always the scariest thing about going into the funhouse when wearing a skirt was the air holes in the floor that randomly would blow a shot of air as you stepped over them. And we girls would scream with delight and try to jump over them before they got us, but we never succeeded. One night, she and her girlfriends discovered the secret to that gag. I happened to look up in the balcony and saw a guy who was working there, grinning from ear to ear, because the bursts of air were not random at all. He was watching for the girls in skirts to come close to the air holes in the floor, and then he would hit the button. The Playhouse was one of a whole selection of attractions available at the park. There were food vendors, too. One of the more popular ones was an item actually invented by George Whitney in 1928. When he got the formula right for this dessert, he's said to have yelled out, It's it! And the It's It was born. Back then, they made their own oatmeal cookies and put a scoop of vanilla ice cream in between two cookies and then hand dipped the whole thing in hot chocolate and handed it to you to eat right away. You can still buy It's It at many West Coast grocery stores. Just check the freezer section. A lot of the food stands and the attractions at Playland at the Beach were independently owned and operated, like small businesses. Bob's roller coaster, the merry-go-round. The Whirlpool ride, which you're sitting in a cage spinning around, that was really fast. They had uh, Dodger. It was originally it was called Dodgem, and then it became Dodger. And they didn't ever call them bumper cars because they didn't want you to slam into each other. They had to repair them. The Big Dipper, when they built that, was really tall. 65 feet, like almost a seven-story building. And it had huge drops and long climbs. It was really an exciting ride, and everybody wanted to ride that thing. By the way, it had no seat belts, no bar, nothing to hang onto except the rail on each side. People did get hurt on that once in a while. Like the rides weren't very safe. No, there was no OSHA back then. (laughs) Diving bell was fun. It was a bell-shaped thing. Once you get in, they'd bolt down the door, you know, tie it down like in a, like in a submarine. They had this 40-foot deep well, and as you were going down, you'd see fish in there. I mean, it had sharks, it had uh, octopi, it had all kinds of different uh, saltwater animals. I think it was designed this way on purpose. It leaked, and the guy was operating it would say, uh-oh, uh-oh, we're leaking here. We're, we're, we're going to sink. I'm not going to be able to get this thing back up. He says, let's see if we can come up. Well, he'd pull the brakes off this thing, and it would bob to the top like a cork. Some people thought it was a riot, and some people were scared to death. During the Great Depression in the 1930s, Whitney was able to consolidate power by buying out the other concessions at Playland as they failed. And through this, he garnered control of much of Playland at the beach. The Whitneys even bought the land Playland sat on and nearby plots with plans for future expansion. But in 1958, George Whitney died. And without him, Playland at the beach was sort of rudderless and it began to fail. They started pulling down the rides. The property itself fell into disrepair and folks stopped visiting. Then, in 1972, Whitney's widow sold Playland at the Beach 
to a developer. Jeremy at Hoken. Eventually, the property's new owner decided to close Playland. He wanted to build on it, and he wanted to build these uh, big condos up there. Everybody hated him in the city. Why, Why did people hate him? The way they saw it is he stole Playland from them. Nobody wanted to see Playland go away, except for the ones that wanted the money. Etz Hoken had Playland at the beach torn down. He had no permission or anything. And then the city fathers got all ticked off, so they put a 10-year moratorium on building on that lot. So he was stuck with this thing. He paid a fortune for it, but he couldn't do anything with it now. The moratorium eventually ended, and today those apartments that are like various shades of pastels and that Safeway on 48th Avenue are where Playland at the Beach used to be. Thankfully, several important pieces of Playland survived the demolition. A pretty visible one is the big Wurlitzer organ at the Santa Cruz boardwalk. Of course, there's Laughing Sal at Pier 45's Musée Mécanique, and the original carousel from Loof's Hippodrome is still in San Francisco as well. Today, the Leroy King Carousel, as it's known, is operated by the Children's Creativity Museum at Yerba Buena Gardens. Go ahead and get started. Key in the ignition. Bell time. Welcome to Leroy King Carousel. Please remain seated, facing forward while the ride is in motion. Okay, so I heard that earlier and I thought it was a recording. I didn't realize that was actually you yeah, saying that. Yeah, my name is Davey Solorzano. I'm the operations and events coordinator here, uh, carousel operator amongst many other things. Is it crazy to stand here every day and operate something that is like several lifetimes older than you? Like yeah. that, that has been around all this time and people have cared for it and now it's in your hands? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a really cool job. Um, it's not even a job. I don't even, I, I'm, I'm literally just here. Yeah, don't, don't tell them you'll do it for free, though. Oh, no, I won't say that. <laughs> Idora Park closed 90 years ago. Playland has been gone almost 50 years. Sad to say, but there are no known pieces of Idora Park remaining. But these remnants of Playland at the beach, like organs and carousels and weird carnival attractions like Laughing Sal, will continue to live on under the watchful eye of their caretakers allowing the next generation of thrill-seekers and those chasing nostalgia another trip back in time. That was reporter Christopher Beale. Thanks to David Gallagher, Mike Winslow, and Carol Tang for their help with this story. We've got pictures galore of these old parks on our website. Be sure to check them out at baycurious.org. And if you want to wax nostalgic about your memories of a local amusement park, head over to KQED's Facebook page. We've got a post up where you can share your memories. Bay Curious is made by Katrina Schwartz, Brendan Willard, Amanda Font, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Darren, too, is our social video intern. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Have a great one. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play March's trivia game? Every month, we'll read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a sweet prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is... 
This Bay Area high school holds the longest winning streak in high school football. They won 151 games in a row between 1992 and 2004. What is the name of the school? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.